Hello, and welcome to Connecting the Pieces, an Eastern Sector Development Team podcast focused on connecting, supporting, and promoting good diversity, wellness, and reablement approaches. My name is Dale Park, and together with my colleague Lisa Dean, we are here to present the third and final podcast in our series looking at LGBTI inclusive practice. We are again joined by Pauline Kameri and Andrew Rogers from VAL's LGBTI Aging and Age Care. In our previous episodes, we've addressed access issues, cultural safety, and assessment processes. And today, in our final episode, it's only fitting that we finish this series by discussing service delivery and the attitudes, approaches, and practices that enable respectful, dignified, and inclusive interactions with older people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or have an intersex variation. So Andrew and Pauline, I guess the first area around service delivery that we'd like to discuss is social support groups. We know they are so important in helping people develop connections, be active and engaged in society. We also know that older LGBTI people are more likely to live independently than the general population. And this can sometimes present issues around social engagement and social connection. So what do service providers need to do to make sure that the client group is prepared to welcome older LGBTI people into their groups? It's really important that everyone in the service has some awareness and knowledge of the lives and experiences and the needs of older LGBTI people. It's important that we as service providers are communicating to everyone in our service that we are safe, welcoming and inclusive of everyone, that we have rules of engagement in place, that we communicate what's expected of everyone and that we also communicate and demonstrate in a range of different ways who we mean and in terms of who who we welcome at our service. And that's not to say that everyone's going to come along to a service as a service user and everyone's going to, it's going to be a great harmonious group. I think most service providers recognise that things do happen. People do say things. People bring with them their values and beliefs. As service providers, we can set the tone. We set the rules of engagement. So ensuring that we communicate this is really, really important. And therefore, it gives us the opportunity to have conversations if there is any inappropriate interactions Thanks, Pauline. Communication and establishing rules for engagement are obviously really important. But I just wanted to go back to your point about participants who are likely to bring their own values and beliefs to the social support setting. Can either of you expand on this and perhaps help us to understand what providers can be doing to address situations where participants' views might impact the inclusivity of the program? What we do often hear from people is that it can be other participants in programs who may be as problematic or may make things difficult for them rather than the staff. The organisation might be wonderful and the staff might be wonderful, but it's how you step up and support them when there are others in those programs who were raised in that era when there was discrimination and when it was okay 
to have views that perhaps now we consider not to be appropriate. And I think one of the things most important of all is for everybody to recognise that history has an impact on all people who use the service. So many of the people who are accessing your service also grew up in the time when it was okay to discriminate. And they may not have changed their values. They may not have changed their beliefs. Many have because they've had direct exposure through family members coming out or affirming an identity. But it's worth remembering that history affects everybody. So you may have to engage with people about the change in values that have happened and about the values of your own organisation and that you are truly inclusive and welcoming of everybody. And as Pauline said, it's an opportunity to educate and not to shut down, but to actually open up a conversation that makes it safe for everybody to be their authentic selves. I think that's an interesting point because we know that difficult conversations or points of conflict can be challenging and sometimes people would certainly prefer to sweep them under the carpet. Do you have any examples of where that's maybe worked well or perhaps not worked so well? We worked with a service provider last year who said, oh, we're really skillful at shutting conversations down. No, no, no. Use those conversations as ways of educating. LGBTI inclusion is not just specifically about people who identify, but all of them have families as well. And we have heard of stories from people who feel they can't talk about their children or their grandchildren because they'll be judged by other participants or by staff members. And that means those people can't be their full authentic selves in the service and that they're actually having to edit the stories that they tell and that can be particularly important for those sorts of services and programs where telling your story and being honest is a really important part of the service. Just to add a little bit to that, we certainly have heard stories from people who have attended social support programs and the like where they've said that they couldn't share information about their families because if they did, they were pitied by other members of the program. So it is really important and it goes beyond just LGBTI clients. I think it's really refreshing to hear you recommend that people use conversation as a way to educate and build a common understanding between people. And even though we know it can be quite natural to avoid conflict or difficult conversations, I think the other thing that's really highlighted in those examples was that LGBTI inclusive practice and creating an environment that's inclusive for older LGBTI people will also create an inclusive environment for people who aren't LGBTI, but for those who have friends or family members or maybe their allies and believe in having a space where everyone is welcomed and included. If people were looking to establish that kind of welcoming and inclusive environment, what are some of the things that they can be doing within a social support setting to really demonstrate and help people understand where the boundaries are and what's welcoming and acceptable. 
you'll take people to events and on outings that speak to a diversity of experiences and lives. And so you invite everyone, if you're going to take them to a midsummer event, you invite all the participants along, not just the LGBTI participants, because that means if there's someone in your service who hasn't outed themselves to the service, they'll fear that by participating, they're outing themselves. So inviting LGBTI people, friends and allies to all things is a really important element. Have some guest speakers come along and talk about experiences and lives and you know, it, it's about walking the walk and talking the talk and communicating to the community that your service is safe, welcoming and inclusive because that will empower older LGBTI people to access care and support. It's really great to hear you give such positive advice and examples and we completely back this approach of celebrating, embracing and supporting people's diversity and difference. We've spoken about it many times on this podcast and it's reflected in the resources that that we've developed. For people who are maybe hearing this type of message for the first time or maybe don't fully understand this approach, what would be your message to them? Take the opportunity to celebrate LGBTI lives and experiences. Thinking about the different ways that you can do this. We had Ida Hobbit Day. International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, Transphobia and Intersexism. Use it as a way to celebrate. Think about other days of celebration or commemoration. You can use those obviously to celebrate or commemorate, but it's also an opportunity to educate everyone. So think about ways that you can do this in a really creative, celebratory and affirming way. Because acceptance isn't enough. Just accepting somebody's difference is not enough. People need to have their identities authentically affirmed, acknowledged and appreciated. And that's how you approach inclusive practice, how you become an inclusive organisation. Affirm, admire, appreciate and indeed, as Pauline has said, celebrate. That's really great advice and it's really important to hear these positive messages around older LGBTI services and what people can do. Is there anything else that you can think of to build an inclusive environment for older LGBTI people? Have some LGBTI staff as well. Staff and volunteers are a really important part and they can provide guidance, knowledge, experience, but also welcome and have that relevance and be able to support people, clients, community members as well. We're always talking about how we want the diversity, whether that be of staff, clients and volunteers to represent the diversity within the community. I'm interested in any feedback you might have received from older LGBTI people about social support groups and the activities offered any advice, things to look out for or changes that might be needed? LGBTI people want to be seen by those services but also included and have relevant activities that speak to their experiences and their interests as well. And we're not suggesting that they want the program rainbow washed but what they do want is to see that there are some activities or events 
anything that will speak to their experience as well. And that might even be as simple as showing a movie every now and again that is is something that includes the experiences of LGBTI people. And the advantage with that, of course, is that everybody else in that program experiences that LGBTI movie and it can cause changes in hearts and minds and make it safer as well. Thank you both so much. There's some really great ideas there for our social support listeners. I'd like to go back to one of your key messages that's really resonated with me throughout our discussions. And that's about the importance of understanding history and how this might influence the way that older lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender or intersex people may experience services now. We've talked about social support, but I wonder what this might look like for an older LGBTI person seeking allied health or nursing services. There is the history of being pathologised. Many older people lived through a time when it was considered a psychiatric illness to be lesbian, gay, bisexual or transgender. Many people with an intersex variation lived through a time when their bodies were made wrong and it was a shameful thing so presenting for services around your body around your intimate relationships can require a disclosure that they've never been comfortable with and that's particularly true if we're dealing with physical ailments and bodies the the revelation is this safe for me to do so is a really big thing on the other hand is it safe to talk about my relationships because they might immediately dump me in a category that says oh well that problem comes from the fact that you're gay or you're lesbian you know and I've had direct experience of that you know of psychiatric treatment that basically asks the first question you know that says how does this relate to your sexuality well it didn't don't make those assumptions you know and the other thing that older people tell us is we often hear it put in a kind of joking fashion of, I went to the doctor about my head cold and they wanted to know all about my transgender journey. You know, that, that constantly having to explain everything when it's not relevant. And the other thing, of course, is everybody working in the sector understands professional practice and that's what you're being asked to do. It's as simple as that respectful, welcoming, aware, professional practice. And Pauline, we've been talking a lot about how history has informed and influenced older LGBTI people. And I wonder if you could just talk about the impact of HIV within the community and specifically older members who lived through the stigma and discrimination of that time. I think the HIV AIDS decade means that many people may have had very negative experiences of health services where they were refused services, where the community obviously had to come together to provide those services themselves or advocate for inclusive services. I think that's such important information for people to be aware of. And it really hits home the key messages that you and Andrew have really been stating 
from the very beginning, which is about education and understanding the types of experiences and the types of barriers that people, unfortunately, have lived through. So I guess the obvious question that follows on from this is, what are some of the actions that health services and staff need to put in place to address these different lived experiences that we've talked about and overcome any apprehension or concerns that older LGBTI people might have in accessing health services? Sometimes as a professional, you may be presented with someone's life story, their body that you weren't expecting. And this is about being a professional. This is about putting on the poker face and providing the most affirming quality care and support that you can, regardless of whether you necessarily understand or your personal values and beliefs. This is about providing respectful, dignified care and support. I certainly don't think anyone can argue with that point, Pauline. And I just wonder what would your response or advice be to clinicians or managers of health services who are maybe lacking that education around LGBTI communities? The responsibility of educating yourself around people's sexual orientation, gender identity or bodily variation, that's your responsibility. And that someone presenting for care and support may not have the capacity to be your educator, that you as a health professional or a health provider or a care provider, it's your responsibility so that when someone does walk through your door requiring your support or care, you have the knowledge at hand. And if you don't have the knowledge at hand, you go away and find out about how you can best support them. And we certainly know from research that many older LGBTI people over the years have said they're exhausted with having to educate everyone. And it is really important to only be asking the questions relevant to the care and support being sought, not to be asking questions because you're curious or you want to know for your own personal reasons. Please be as professional as you would with any other person. It's that simple. That's such important advice for people to take on board. Thank you, Pauline. Andrew, I wonder if you could talk us through something that I think occurs quite often, which is homogenising lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex people into one group, whereby people believe that they all share the same experiences, have been through the same barriers or hold the same views? Nobody is LGBTI. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans and or having an intersex variation. Please remember that these are people and those are different identities in your professional practice. Just knowing somebody, one person, you can't base you are understanding a professional practice for the whole community on your knowing of one person from one of those identities. That's a great reminder. Thank you so much, Andrew. As we age, to maintain independence and to stay living in our own homes, many people will need to allow services to come into the home. For example, there might be personal care or domestic assistance. So what do you think are some of the key considerations that we actually need to be aware of when going into the homes of older 
LGBTI people, particularly given what we've talked about today and recognising that the home is their safe space? I think that's the fundamental starting point. When you're standing on the doorstep waiting for that door to be open, understand that the person who is lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans and or has an intersex variation is having to do a risk assessment on whether or not you will treat them in a careful, welcoming and authentically respectful way. And that's more so than most people because of that historical discrimination. I think it's really important that we're able to try and put ourselves in the position of others to really be able to understand their history and the impact that we could have either directly or indirectly. What are some of the questions or considerations that older LGBTI people have to navigate in regards to letting people come into their home? How safe am I when I open the door? What happens if they see that I'm in a same-sex relationship? What happens when I open the door and they realise they are dealing with somebody who is transgender? And what does that mean about my body and what is the response that people are going to have there? I think they're great questions or points for workers going into the home of any older person to reflect on. But what other advice would you have for someone going into an older person's home? When you're in the home, they don't become an object of curiosity about who they are or their identity, but also that you're not shocked or surprised or confused by what you might learn about that individual. That's standard professional practice, valuing the individual as they are with an understanding of the historical effect on their sense of safety when they open the door. I think that's your absolute starting point. We've got to remember that many older LGBTI people have never experienced safety outside of their home. So by needing to have services come into the home, what does that mean in terms of their safety? So we need to be understanding of that and to recognise what that might mean for them. Thanks for that, Pauline and Andrew. I think it's a really timely reminder about professional practice and how we go about working with people when we go into their homes. I wanted to get your thoughts on how well the aged care sector and the services available to older people is understood by the broader LGBTI community and maybe what aged care providers need to be doing to bridge any gaps. One thing that we know from research is that older lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans and intersex people have a very overarching fear of residential aged care, but it seems not very much knowledge of community aged care supports which means that they're probably more likely to end up in residential aged care. We know that accessing timely care and support in the community and in your home is really important. But one, if you don't know about it, what does that mean? Two, if you're fearful of having someone come into your home. As service providers, as a service sector, we should be really communicating the benefits of community aged care supports 
in that accessing them in a timely way, that our services are safe, welcoming and inclusive, that it really starts before we're on the doorstep. But of course, once we have walked through the door, the importance of providing safe, affirming and quality care is really important. And finally, awareness of the diversity of the community is so fundamental. We are all different, each and every one of us. So recognising that difference is good, not bad, and that supporting everyone, particularly older people, you might be the first person who provides affirming care and support to someone, and that can be life-changing. The other side of that, of course, is that there is possibly a reputational advantage in being diverse and inclusive because it's a message that spreads to all people that this is a welcoming, authentically safe environment for everybody. Achieving a reputation for being LGBTI inclusive washes through as a reputation that this is a good service for everybody. Absolutely. And I think, Andrew and Pauline, you've taken us full circle back to the top of our discussion today when we talked about the importance of ensuring that our services are accessible to members of the LGBTI community and that the work actually needs to happen by service providers before those services are in place. So thank you so much. As Lisa was saying, thank you so much for participating in these podcasts. This brings us to the conclusion of our three-part series looking at how we create and build inclusive, authentic environments for older LGBTI people. Thanks very much for having us and we really encourage services and staff to get in touch with us if you need some help, um, sign up for our training download our resources and please sign up for our newsletter as well where we share lots of information about caring and supporting older LGBTI people. Thanks for having us today. It's been really great to talk about this and I hope that what we've been able to do is help perhaps inspire some action for services to take after hearing what we've talked about. So thanks for the opportunity. We really can't recommend the resources and the work that VALS LGBTI Ageing and Aged Care does enough, so please go and check out their website, their YouTube channel, and all the resources that they've developed. And thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out our website, esdt.com.au, for other resources and contact information. The Eastern Sex Development Team is supported by the Australian Government Department of Health, and although funding has been provided by the Australian Government, the materials and comments made do not necessarily represent the views or the policies of the Australian Government.